I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. Welcome to another episode of the Liturgy, guys. Thanks, Jesse. Are we, are we celebrating your birthday still? No, that was my post-pubescent trumpet noise. It wasn't like the... Oh, okay. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. Jesse always said that was my, my pre-pubescent trumpet noise. Oh, really? okay. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> we're back. Wait till you hear his French horn. Oh. <laughs> well, we're well into season six now. Which is six more seasons than Chris ever imagined. <laughs> this is true. How long is this going to go on? Until we die. <laughs> yes. But Heart you smalls. are the man in the lead today, Chris, I think. You I am? New oh. and exciting things to talk about. Oh, yes, yes. Because we've been trying to make season six about the Mass more generally. Mm. Like prepare for Mass, what it is, how to enter it. So we did some on architecture and other stuff. Yeah. Now what? Yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, kind of our inspiration, if that's the right word, is, um, you know, trying to respond uh, seriously to that motu proprio traditionis custodes, uh, really from the angle of uh, those who celebrate and participate in the post-conciliar Novus Ordo type liturgies, right? Because there was a lot in that letter, you know, talking about, you know, do this right, do this according to the council, do it by the books, do it uh, in line with the tradition. And, and, uh, you know, that's kind of what we do at the LI and what you do in your work. And I do my work. Ordinary yeah. form. You're talking about the ordinary yeah. form, Pope Francis yeah. said. Stop it with the liturgical abuses. So right. People have overlooked that because of the extraordinary form side. But mm-hmm. he's in the long line of people from Pius X to every pope yeah. since saying, do the mass as the books tell you. So, yeah. And so I we wonder th- how many people yeah. actually read like the whole thing from start to finish read it at all instead of not just the news coverage you know yeah we were in otteramus bulletin for september we were wondering sort of internally i mean should we reprint this letter uh i mean the motu proprio and the letter and uh in the end we decided that we should because probably a lot of people have been if they've been interested in this have read about 98 percent commentary but not actually read the letter so we we decided to reprint it and if you haven't read it it's yeah that by putting it in an Adoramus, it's ensured that Dennis and I won't read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unless you make it a yeah. quiz. You, <laughs> you guys. Should, you should Maybe. do the motu proprio quiz. Yeah, a Traditionis Custodis quiz. And some more. That would be good. Quiz. Yeah, get mm, in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so what's well, the topic du jour? Yeah, so we, we're, we're going to take season six and uh, respond to this challenge and walk through the Mass according to the books, according to the tradition, according to the mind of the church. And before, you know, um, the bell rings and Mass starts on Sunday morning, we're setting up. So, Dennis, you helped us to uh, have a good look at the church through the lenses of uh, the tradition and liturgical books. And there's a few other things that we need to do before we start, though. And the first is we want to talk about the minister's uh, who will be, who are expected to be present and prepared for the celebration of the Mass. So that's the topic of this podcast, the ministers of the Mass. And would we start at the general instruction of the Roman Missal, chapter 3, Chris? Uh, roughly the paragraphs 91 through, that's for you, Jesse, uh, 107. 
right, where it lays out who should be there doing what and how. Now, again, this will be in general terms, and when we actually go through the order of mass, uh, we can we can you know recall this, and we'll get into the more specific functions that they do. So this is just an overview of the various ministers. You ready? I've never yes. been so ready for anything uh, in my life. Yeah. Okay. Is it is this multiple choice? Sorry. What? No, this is not a quiz. Well, the first thing we should do before we talk about particular ministries, there's some principles that the germ gives us, and they're basically footnoting uh, sacrosanctum concilium. And the first of these you can read in uh, paragraph 91 that the celebration of the Eucharist is the action of Christ and the whole church, and it pertains to the whole body of the church, manifests it, and has its effect upon it. Okay. Uh, I yeah. love that. So why would they say that, Dennis? I mean, obviously, right? Should this make sense? Why does this even need to be said? Because the rediscovery of the mystical body of Christ in the late 19th and early 20th century had great impact on liturgical participation, that the people didn't just sit and wait for the priest to do priest things, they were in fact participants in the same action that the priest was um, entering. The priest as the head of the body and the people as the members, and they're still responding in a way to the pay, pray, and obey model of uh, attending a low mass and watching the priest do things and doing other stuff. So now they're saying, not just the head, but the members too. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, you know, there used to be an expression, maybe it's still around today, you know, that you go and hear mass or something like that. And to a certain extent, that's right. But um, and hearing is a part of your participation as a layperson in the mass, but there's so much more. I mean, I suppose what would be a better expression? Did, did you go and give your heart at the mass? Did you uh, uh, become a victim at mass? Things like that. Really? Concelebrate? Well, you don't want to say well, that. I know, that. You know what I mean. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. I don't mean like formally, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Did you take your appropriate place as the member of the mystical body? Yeah. Nothing. Take all of it and nothing more. As yeah. Would say, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I like one of my. There's so many great lines from uh, liturgical documents over the 20th century, but I like the one I think wasn't it come from uh, Pius the 12th to well, and even uh, Pius the 11th, I suppose, too, about uh, the people should not be present as uh, uh, mute and silent or dumb and silent as spectators, yeah. but should be there doing something, actively participating. So that's what I think. The the one thing. Uh, that the, the the documents put before us is this is this is an this is not a spectator sport when you go to mass, whether you're a minister or whether you're in the 28th pew on the right hand side, you have a job to do. Nobody is just sitting there looking on or listening on or actively engaged. On the other hand, and this is at the end of uh, number 91, that doesn't mean that everybody is sort of, you know. <laughs> so you said, Dennis, it's it's a mystical body, not a mystical amoeba, where it's just sort of a homogenous sort of grouping where everybody's blended together and it doesn't matter who does what, when, where, why, or how. Mystical also, amoeba, mystical <laughs> It's also not a many-headed hydra, right? Many-headed oh. hydra. <laughs> I like it. I'm going to give you credit. That's okay. hilarious. Well, <laughs> so, although you mentioned con celebrating before, that's uh, that should be that should be a, a topic for another uh, podcast, right? There's uh, the con celebrants can at times, if there's a lot of them, it's like you have many heads of the mystical body of Christ, and we don't want that either. But we'll 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 cover that later. But this line from uh, number ninety one, again citing Sacrosanctum Concilium, is lays down this principle that everyone should do all of, but only those parts that pertain uh, to him or her in the liturgy, right? 
So even though everybody has a, a, some share in the action, each minister or layperson, everybody in the building uh, has to kind of, you know, if you're the hand, you can't decide you're going to be the foot or going to be the ear or be the voice or whatever. You have to do all of, but only those things that pertain to you. So those are yeah. a couple of principles from the Imagine outside. Imagine it were a parade or a pep rally or something, right? Someone would be in charge. What do they call it? The grand marshal of the parade is walking. But if everybody else walked with their arms down, morose and silent, doing something else, you know, behind them, you'd miss the floats, the marching band, the waving, the Santa Claus at the end of the Macy's thing. So everybody's got a part to play in the whole, even though there's a head that's leading the whole thing. Were you even thinking, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about just this little uh, podcast uh, thing that we do, right? You know, you can only have one sort of producer, director, editor, recorder, somebody like that. And if everybody wants to do that, if everybody wants to lead the conversation, you know, we, we kind of huddle beforehand. Who's going to lead what? Who's going to say that? And, and if I interrupted you, interrupted you, yep. you know, that it's not going not gonna to work. So it might not be working anyway. But And I'm the straight guy. Yes. I'm the one who keeps serious the whole time. Yes. You should do all of and only those straight guy parts that pertain to you, Jesse. Go. Okay. That's right, Chris. So there's at least a <clears throat> there's at least a couple of principles. Now let's just go ahead and follow the order that the germ gives us here, and it uh, kind of divides it up. And we'll have to go through this quickly, otherwise this is going to be a ten part series just on liturgical ministers. Yeah. But um, the first is those in holy orders, right? And so the first uh, minister in holy orders is the bishop. Yes. And this is at number ninety two, and so he's called the high priest of uh, the assembly. He's the clearest uh, manifestation of Christ, the high priest. And you can see this liturgically, uh, especially if you read through, say, uh, the ceremonial of bishops. So, I mean, how could you tell if a bishop were there? How could you tell if, if the guy in the robe up at the front was not merely a priest, but a bishop? What are some of the liturgical signs you'd see? He's got the big hat. He's got the big hat. That's the bishop wearing Crozier. a funny hat. Yeah, so he has and the, if he, and, and if he was the ordinary for the diocese, there would be a seventh candle. Yeah, seven candles. Uh, and he also sits while he puts incense in the thurible. Yeah. And he can he can like preach while seating, sitting as well. Yeah. I think yeah, a priest can preach isn't it at the chair but not while seated in the chair. Correct. Yeah, so these Correct. little uh, liturgical signs he's wearing a ring. He's got a pectoral cross. How does he greet the assembly at the beginning of mass? Peace be Peace with you. Peace be, with, be you. with you. Yeah, the priest the words says, of Christ himself. Yeah, words of Christ himself, right? So the bishop, and this, I think, is is uh, a bit of a clarification coming from prior to the council to after the council, is kind of the the sacramental position of the, the bishop in the assembly, right? So because it almost, you know, you had the, the minor orders, uh, uh, porter, exorcist, lector, acolyte, then you had deacon, subdeacon, priest, and the bishop wasn't even kind of in the mix there. And now, I mean, they, they talked a lot about the bishops at the Second Vatican Council. You know, the bishop has this real sacramental presence of Christ, and it's manifested. Who wrote, who wrote the documents of the Second Vatican Council? Uh, the, the bishops, bishops. Yeah. yeah. So go figure. They, they put themselves in charge. It's a, I think I made this joke on a previous uh, podcast, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, is it, does that mean an auxiliary bishop is a sub-bishop? <laughs> You have deacons and subdeacons, and then you have a bishop and subbishop. Where was the joke there, Jesse? <laughs> Jesse, stay in your lane. You should do all of, but only those parts. Do you think our new editors will edit in a laugh track? For <laughs> Just to help, to that help me out. I hope so. <laughs> all right. All right. So you may have the bishop there. Uh, the second minister that uh, they mention here is the priest, and so he stands in persona Christi, 
Capitis. Uh, Capitis. He's, he's the captain of the ship. He's the head of the assembly. And so he has certain roles in uh, the mass that members of the body do not. Okay. So he's, um, well, he, here's what it says. Uh, some of the things he does. He presides over the prayer. He proclaims uh, the message of salvation and he offers the sacrifice through Christ and the Holy Spirit to the Father. It describes this uh, in this way. When he celebrates the Eucharist, he must serve God and the people with dignity and humility. And by this bearing and by the way he pronounces the divine words, he must convey to the faithful the living presence of Christ. Right. Amen, amen, no, yeah, amen. Yeah. No pressure, no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> In some ways, it's a real, well, the, the, the way the church talks about it now is it's an art. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a real skill to do this. It's an art of celebrating to be able to do this right. Because, I mean, you don't want to insert yourself if you're the priest, or frankly, if you're any minister, you know, because you, you, you want to be transparent so that the people almost see you and through you see Christ. And the more, you know, the priest or a minister you know, kind of gets in the way of that because of idios well, idiosyncrasies, right? This was in the letter. Here's a quiz question for you, Jesse. Idiosyncrasies is what Pope Francis warned about in uh, the accompanying letter to Traditionis uh, Custodes, is that these liturgical abuses either lead to or stem from idiosyncrasies that celebrants have, and it becomes about the id, about them. And so that's why, you know, leading with humility and with real skill. I mean, the, 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 but the priest, on the other hand, doesn't cease to be himself. He doesn't become, you know, uh, an automaton and lose all of his humanity and his personality. It's just that all of those things in him become elevated and perfected. You know, how he stands, what he wears, how he speaks, all of those things with dignity and humility are what will convey to the faithful, quote, the living presence of Christ. So, yeah, it's yes. really difficult. And I looked up, even this is not an etymology episode, episode, but I looked up the word, and it actually means a servant. Like the word minstrel comes from it, you know, like a roving singer, storyteller. So you think of a minister as the person who's in charge, but the minister is actually the servant of the right or servant of God or the one who serves uh, for the other. So that reminds me of that, dedicate the uh, definition from the catechism about the liturgy being the participation of the people of God in the work of God. And if the work of God is Christ speaking at the right hand of the Father with the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, then our ministry is the servant of that reality. Way better than I'm in charge. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me too, of if you go onto the LI campus for a second or the Mundelein campus, you have an administration building. Right. Or, you know, like the Dawson Center in La Crosse. This is the administration center. Kind of yeah. the, the, the pseudo notion is that everything is done to, to feed the administration building and, you know, their power and authority and stuff like that. It's just the opposite is that the Dawson Center in La Crosse or the administration building in uh, the offices uh, at the campus or at Benedictine College, too. They're really the ones who are supposed to make the Center for Beauty and Culture or the Liturgical Institute or St. Mary's Parish, we're at the service of them. No, so, it's all about aggrandizing me, Chris. <laughs> my fame, my importance. So anyway, that's that's why you don't work here anymore, because <laughs> we just had to. True enough. <laughs> I finally figured out my yeah. true motivation. Yeah. But Ars is what the priest is supposed to have, and that's a hard skill to come by, but it's a necessary one, at least Remember, according to. Yeah, go ahead. 
our long time ago student, she was Claire Gilligan then, I think she's Claire Vogel now, she got married. She wrote her, her thesis on uh, active participation, I mean, um, Arshela Brandi, as an aid to the active participation of the people. Can you imagine, can you guess what her thesis statement might have been? How would a priest with a good Arshela Brandi help the active participation of the people in the priest? You asking us? I'm asking you. Oh, me? Both. You both. You okay. both. Well, I mean, I like to think of it as the more of a, the more the Ars Celebrandi of the minister has, the more is that minister an icon of Christ. And the more mm -hmm. the lay people can see Jesus up there and not yeah. Father Bill Smith, uh, the better, the more they can actively participate in the, the saving work of Jesus. Yeah. If the priest says, the Lord be with you and sings it and they sing back and with your spirit, they are incorporated more deeply into the body of Christ so they can enter into the mysteries. If the priest makes it about him, then all of a sudden they're outside the mysteries and they're watching Father act uh, in a goofy way. That's actually an impediment to participation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Humility and dignity. Mm -hmm. Hard virtues to come by, but that's what's necessary. Someday, okay, Chris. I'm, pro I'm probably <laughs> the most humble, I think. I don't know. It's <laughs> your greatest virtue, Jesse. I've always said <laughs> that you. about you, and you've always said it about yourself. <laughs> All right, the third minister in holy orders is uh, the deacon. He proclaims the gospel from time to time, preaches, announces the intentions of the universal prayer, ministers to the priest, prepares the altar, uh, distributes the Eucharist to the faithful, and gives instructions to the faithful about oh, postures and uh, gestures and things like that. So and let us stand, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. Let yeah, us exactly. kneel. Mm -hmm. So, and this is, um, you know, a deacon too uh, has his own type of Ars Celebrandi, right? We don't want the deacon to be a distraction or a deflection from Christ the servant who was uh, in the sanctuary. Um, this is one of the things the council did is reinstated the uh, uh, the permanent diaconate which wasn't, everything was tr transitional uh, diaconate uh, prior to the council, as far as I know. Uh, but now there are uh, deacons, uh, those in the order of deacon, and they're permanently deacons. They became ordained to the diaconate not to go on to become a priest, but to serve the church and the liturgy in that uh, role. So, now, Chris, this may be a Holy Orders question that's beyond me. I hope it's not beyond you. It says here that the priest is the helper of the bishop in 92. The priests uh, are his helpers, um, but they also seem to have the same powers, but then a deacon doesn't seem to have the same powers. You know, how, how do they all relate? You know? This question is actually a little bit beyond me because I think it's one that uh, the church is still sort of coming to an answer to. So, for example, the, the catechism and the, the code of canon law would speak about a bishop and a priest standing in persona Christi Capitis. And for a lot of years, there was kind of a question about, well, does the deacon too? And one of the last things uh, that Pope Benedict did before he ended his papacy was he wrote this letter called something, Omnium in Mentem or something like that. And one of the things it did, it did a couple of things. One, it clarified oh, about how you can leave the church, which, which had bearings on uh, if you're bound by canonical form when you get married. But the other was, is how does, is, does the deacon operate in the person of Christ, the head? And he said, no. The deacon doesn't. And so uh, my point of all this is that uh, I still think, you know, this restoration of the permanent diaconate uh, has has brought a lot of questions to the surface that still are not be have yet to be answered. Here's just and another there are things. Yeah, go ahead. There are things bishops 
can do that priests can't do, right? Like oh yeah, bishops. So there's much more that a bishop does that a priest uh, doesn't mm-hmm. do. So it seems like there's a sharing or a fullness. So they, they use that kind of language, right? The bishop has the fullness of the priesthood. Right, so, right. Yeah. yeah, but they would say that the bishop and the priest uh, participate in the in the priesthood of Jesus in a different way than does the deacon. So it's not, yeah, yeah. So there is a true difference there. Yeah, and then the people of God participate in a different way. Yeah. Well, in fact, that's the, that's section number two at yes. uh, 95. So after the, I want the uh, segue of the day award for that. <laughs> you do. But anyway, I mean, I mean, take this vision, though, back to your Sunday parish. OK, your Sunday celebration. I mean, what do you have? You probably you're not going to have a bishop show up uh, for mass unless it's confirmation or something. But, um, you know, there's ideally, you know, you would have a deacon in your parish as well. OK. Now, this next part at number 95 and 96 are yes, functions of the it. people of God. So what, Love it, love it, love it. What are the people of God supposed to do? Just well, If they're not supposed they to may just give, sit there. Give thanks to God and offer the spotless capital V victim, not only through the hands of the priest, but also together with him, and they learn to offer themselves. That is, is that all? That's the... <laughs> That's the epicenter of the liturgical movement, right? It's rediscover that people in the pews are not passive spectators, which is not the same as I'm a minister of donuts and I run around dancing, right? I am participating by offering myself as a, to the Father through the hands of the priest with him, and they offer the spotless victim too. So that's the royal priesthood or the baptismal priesthood, fundamentally different from the ministerial priesthood, but nonetheless working together yeah, and that's, I mean, th- this should be, I mean, I don't know. Who knows this? You know, as you look around uh, the nave of the church, how many of your neighbors uh, know that this is what they're supposed to do? Offer the unblemished sacrificial victim to the father through the hands of the priest and offer themselves as well? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not doing that, what are you doing there? <laughs> that's you're the waiting, whole point. You're waiting for transubstantiation to happen, which is not bad in itself, of course. But In fact, I drew a little diagram in the boarding class the other day. And I asked, you know, what do most people wait for? And they're like, oh, they wait for, this is my body. And then they know something has come down to them from heaven. And I wanted them to think about it the other way, which is you offer yourself on the patent and then you go up <laughs> heaven, get transformed, and then it comes back. Yeah. So there's a two-way move there. Oh, yeah. I, I've often thought, too, I mean, it, it's as if if you can put yourself on the patent or in the chalice, then actually you Dennis McNamara gets transubstantiated from the, me. mere, from the mere earthly person that you are to a divinized being. You get transformed. Oh, oh how earthly he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, then, Chris, mm-hmm. but then the culmination is you consume or eat your own perfection. Well, like, you that's do. A, I've been thinking yeah. about this lately, too. I hope this isn't a heresy. You tell me if you think it is. It it's is. almost it's almost as if you don't eat, you don't receive communion. It's as if Jesus receives you in communion, mm-hmm. digests you into his body, and you become a full living member of the mystical body of Christ. So like you were saying before, uh, Dennis, this two-way direction about the transubstantiation, I even think receiving communion is not just a one-directional thing. I think mm-hmm. we receive Jesus, and it might even be true to say Jesus receives you in Holy Communion. Now I just imagine a bunch of nesting dolls. Hmm. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> anyway, I well, never yeah. like nesting dolls. I think they're full of themselves. 
And I actually called our mutual a, friend uh, I got Darius, that one, Jesse. Darius Pisano. Remember Thanks. Darius Pisano? <laughs> yes. She teaches yes. Uh, theology at um, Providence College. She's a Thomist. And I'm like, okay, if you put yourself on the patent and you're given to Christ, are you getting yourself back? Like, are you receiving the glorified version of yourself? She wasn't willing to go that far, but, you know, by, by way of analogy is always the way we get out of all these things, right? By way of analogy, you're getting Christ, who, as a member of his eschatological body, would be receiving you by receiving him. It's kind of crazy how all these things land in the same nesting doll. Right, Jesse? But, I mean, you know, if, if, if what we're saying here is true, uh, and we certainly hope it is, <laughs> you know, coming out of the... Uh, out of the document. Make sure to tune into our other oh, podcast gosh. called I Hope This Isn't Heretical <laughs> <laughs> starting next year. Oh, man. I had a string in the Adoramus Bulletin for a while. It was like I was printing corrections in every subsequent uh, edition. Not because they were heretical necessarily, but we need to go back and clarify that. But anyway. Let's just call it if, speculative theology okay, as right. yet to be determined okay. by the church. Yeah. Okay. All right. But if this is true, I mean, why would you want to give up this awesome responsibility and privilege as a lay person in the nave so that you could be the usher <laughs> or the uh, uh the lector or something power, like that because of power perceived well, power i mean on the one hand it does say what is this in number uh, 97 the faithful should not refuse to serve the people of god in gladness whenever they are asked or perform some particular ministry but again i mean you probably all know this too. All right, so you're going to be the cantor for mass, and because it's you have, way more difficult, you, it's uh, way more difficult, uh, and you have a thousand other things to do the day before, so it's like five minutes before mass, or maybe it's during the first reading, and you're still trying to iron out the wrinkles about how that psalm actually goes, you know. And uh, I, I've put, seen Dennis do this. I've done it myself, uh, like five minutes too. before mass, like trying to do the antiphon, like what is it? Uh, uh, okay. So, I mean, just to be able to, I mean, probably a lot of people listening to this are actively involved in a ministerial capacity in liturgies in their church. And the day that they just get to go to mass and they don't have to do anything ministerial, as good and helpful as that is, they don't have to read, they don't have to sing, they don't have to serve, they don't have to start the coffee, whatever. All they have to do is go and listen and pray and be silent and... Uh, and and participate in offering the unblemished sacrificial victim through the hands of the priest to join themselves with it. Oh man, this is great. Oh, man. That's one of the two misconceptions that I like to talk to people about is that when you're you, when you're doing liturgical ministry, it's actually more difficult sometimes to actively participate. The other one that I like to say is that if you are in char- charge of music uh, at at your masses, you should have the easiest job ever because you just use the prescribed text and like it just defines what the music is for that day and yes you can pick different you know um you know ordinary settings and all that type of stuff but a lot of music ministers would go through a lot of trouble to read the readings in the gospels and pick out the best hymn and all of that when there's all of these prescribed texts already existence that you just have to say oh that's what we're doing today amen well and i think uh you know maybe just one other thought on this is it's easy to look into the sanctuary and you know nitpick or observe or critique or evaluate you know the altar servers or the cantor or the priest i never do that that. yeah i don't either i mean (laughs) 
Uh, I but, do it all the time. But, all uh, mass. One of I us mean, is honest. Uh, but I mean, the the priest, and I presume he's not doing this, but I mean, we have, the people in the nave have a lot to contribute um, by reason of their baptism. They have an obligation to be doing this. So uh, if a mass is going to succeed, say from the human point of view, Jesus is going to do his part right. But if the participants in the mass is going to su- succeed, it's not simply going to be about how well the ministers do. It's also going to be how well the people in the nave, in the pews do. And I think that latter part is easy to forget, that uh, the faithful have a, a great uh, great part to play. Amen. So, anyway. Amen. Hey, Amen. You know, Amen. The, uh, the third part of this is particular ministries, but I, I, I think maybe this might, um, we've got six or eight or ten of these to go through. I wonder if we should uh, leave this over for the next podcast. So yeah. that's all right. Then why don't we wrap this one up? Peop- leave him wanting more, Chris. Leave people hanging. It makes Next me think time. of a lot of questions. And speaking of a lot of questions, we should answer one. Yes. Yeah, segue award number two for you, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And and the humility award, right? I should I deserve yeah. that for sure. Yep. Great big plaque. <laughs> all right, question. Mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. It's not you, is it? I have this friend who is... Uh... <laughs> this friend of mine. Let's call him J.Y. No, Jesse W. <laughs> <coughs> one, of, one of my favorite Simpsons jokes. All right. All right, we have a question here from Chris. This is not this is, <laughs> this is me. This is not, no, it just says Chris. Okay. Uh, um, it's not you. Okay. It's a different Chris. Okay. Uh, Chris says, "I have a friend." <laughs> Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just cho- we were just joking about this beforehand, where they're like, "Is it really a friend of yours, or is it just mm-hmm. your you're doing these things?" All right, Chris says, "I have a friend who baptized his children in the hospital shortly after they were born." not because of illness or threat of death, just using, uh, and he used the proper form. He then had them baptized in the parish. He explained to me that this is not two baptisms, but one baptism, as in the second is just a continuation of the first, as they are both the same, and the children need to be brought into the church. Mm-hmm. He compared it to the Eucharistic sacrifice, which is not a new sacrifice every time, but the same sacrifice as the first. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, you do hear of this in the olden days that the old grandma would baptize the baby the first day, uh, just in case. Cause those aren't olden days. Oh, well, just in case. That, you know, babies died suddenly from things back in the day. They'd get diseases, and it's not as common now, but they were worried about that. So, Chris? Uh, yeah, uh, I've not ever heard of such thing. Uh, but you know, like you were saying, Dennis, it it, it does it can happen that uh, uh, an infant needs to be baptized uh, in case of an emergency, and or you know, grandma's watching the kids and the <laughs> she's been waiting for them to be baptized by their parents for a long time, and so she'll just take care of it while while mom and dad are out. Um, but uh, no, you can only be baptized once, and I don't think there's any continuation. Uh, the church wouldn't think of it that way, you know if. Um, if an infant was baptized in case of emergency, say in a hospital, uh, and then, or by grandma or whatever, uh, 
and, and then recovers, there, what happens is there's a, there's a rite in the order for baptism of children. I think they used to be, it used to be called uh, supplying the rites. And where So the infant would come to the church and they would do all of those secondary or explanatory rites. Um, I guess the, the garment and the candle and things like that. It'd be an occasion to have godparents assigned to the infant to get an entry in the, in the register done, but there would be no second baptism. So anyway, I don't know, not familiar with that strain of uh, liturgical sacramental thinking right. but um, you can't be rebaptized and you can't be mm -mm. unbaptized correct so right. the reason mass can go on continually is because it's a continual act of the son to the father christ's offering is an eternal act so we continue by entering into it and that's why we represent it rather than re-sacrifice christ i think a baptism is not a continuing historical or trans time trans temporal event it's a one-time event which then has impact which goes on for a long I don't think you can say that yeah. a baptism continues into the later. That's a, it is kind of an interesting question, though. I mean, every bapti baptism is a participation in the one event of Christ and the water flowing from his side, things like that. Uh, it's just a matter of I can't participate as a recipient in more than one baptism, even though I can participate in more than one mass or sacrament of confession, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. hmm. Anyway. All right, that's, what, Chris, that's what I think. Not you, not oh, you. Me? The other Chris. Okay. Chris, no, not you. Chris? Yeah. Not you. Oh, the different one. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> and if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you and God bless. Not you, Chris. Not you, Chris. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by Adoremus, the Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy and the Center for Beauty and Culture and Ex Corde, both at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.